Hello, and welcome to episode 52 of Design Curious Podcast. Today on the episode, I'm very pleased to be speaking with one of my coaches, Toby Fairley. And we are going to get into all about how she started her career in interior design and the path that she took to get there. Before I talk a little bit more about her, I want to remind you I have that great quiz that I just developed for you to take and find out what type of interior design you should be doing, whether it's residential or commercial or hospitality or spatial experience. So go over to the podcast episode and in the show notes, you'll find the link to that quiz. You can also find the link to the quiz on my Instagram at our award design under the bio links. And while you're there, send me a direct message to let me know that you're listening to the podcast and which episode is your favorite. In the show notes, you'll also find the links for those downloads that I have created for you to help you get started in your career. So now let me tell you a little bit more about Toby Fairley. Toby Fairley is an innovation igniter, a thought architect, and one of the leading voices on reimagining what it means to run a successful creative business in an equitable and sustainable way. As the host of the Design Nude podcast, Toby delivers a life-altering inspiration for creative entrepreneurs mixed with tactical business advice and unfiltered aha moments on topics most business gurus won't dare to cover. And I have been listening to her podcast since episode one and love all the episodes. It's great. So if you want to binge one, you can go back and listen to all of her great business advice and straightforward talk about design and what's up and coming in the design business. She's been featured in many publications, as we talk about in the episode. And when Toby's not running her high-end residential interior design firm, leading her online membership community for ambitious creative professionals, Design You, or recording an episode for her top-rated podcast, you can find her working on her upcoming book, thinking deep thoughts about how to change the world, painting or curled up with a few good books and spending time with her family and two pups. Toby lives in Arkansas with her attorney husband and teenage daughter who's just gone off to college. So let's hear from Toby. You're now listening to Design Curious, a place where you, creative one, are here to learn about what it really is like to be an interior designer. And I'm your host and mentor, Rebecca Ward. If you're worried about how to succeed in a creative career, if you're ready to learn your next steps to become an interior designer, and if you want the satisfaction of doing something you love every day, you are in the right place. Grab a coffee, a notebook, and let's dig into today's episode. Hi, Toby. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and so proud of your podcast. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that one of the reasons why I have this podcast is because of my work with you. And it really prompted me to start doing courses and a podcast and all the things And so you're part of the reason why we're here today. (laughs) Well, I'm so happy to be a part of that. And thank you for trusting us to work with you. But I do always remind people when they, when they give me some credit that they're the ones who do all the hard work. So yes, (laughs) I I may have inspired you, but you, but you're the one who pulled it off. So bravo. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. So let's go back to talk about your career in interior design. And I know that you didn't come to it 
traditionally, like it wasn't your first career choice, right? Yeah. So it actually ended up really being my first career, but it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. So originally when I got out of high school, I was always a great student and always creative, but also I'm old enough being in my early fifties that when I was getting out of high school, there wasn't as much encouragement to do what you love. There was a lot more encouragement to do what would be lucrative or what would be Mm. stable or all of those things. So at one point I was like, do I want to do pre-med? I love science. I love biology. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I could do like the blood and stuff all the time. (laughs) Although I would be good at it and I could pass it in school. I don't think I want that as a career. And so I assumed I would do something in business and my dad encouraged me, which he had also done with my brother to get an accounting degree. And I mean, I understood that, like I understood the reason behind having that kind of business background. And I'm really Mm -hmm. glad I have it now, but four years of an accounting degree was really not very fun. And I'm not Mm -hmm. a quitter. I always finish everything. So I finished it, but I was like in about year three (laughs) and I started understanding. It was like when HGTV was kind of just really coming on the scene and Being from Arkansas, I hadn't had a lot of exposure to interior designers. My parents had worked with a person or two, but not in the way that we think of design now. It was really an up and coming field. And I was like, ooh, I think that's my career. Mm. Uh, And I remember back then there was no internet to get online and search. So I had to call the university of (laughs) Arkansas and ask them if they had a degree in this field. And they had to mail me stuff by snail mail for me to learn about the career. Wow. But it was really fun. And I was like, okay, I I think that's for me. And so I immediately after finishing my accounting degree, turned around and went right back to school and did four years of design. The interesting thing about that, when you already have a degree like accounting and I had Mm -hmm. 160 hours of of education, but design degrees take four years because it's all consecutive. I had all this extra time. So I was like, what am Mm. I going to do with that? I'm going to have an art minor or whatever. And I had this great advisor who said, no one ever comes through here with a business degree already. Why wouldn't you get a master's in business in your spare time? Which I went ahead and did. So I remember not only, not only did I tell my parents, okay, I'm going back to school and I'd love it if you would help me pay for it. Then I called like three months in and said, oh, and now I'd love to also go to grad school. And so now (laughs) all my hours will be paying grad school hours because I'll be considered a grad student. And they're like, great. Like what (laughs) what else can we pay for? But it turned out to be a really, really great decision. And in hindsight, it looks like I was so smart to have all of that. It wasn't as forethought as it looks, but it really did pay off to have the combination. And I ended up really in the field that I was supposed to be in all along. For sure. So when you talk about like your parents want you to have a career that's financially stable and everything like automatically interior design gets kicked to the curb. Like, (laughs) right, right. As do all the other artsy degrees, right? Anybody who wants to be an artist or a creative, it's like, well, that's not going to do it. Right, right. Yeah. But thankfully, I did have a sense that although maybe the average salaries for art type careers, artsy careers, are not always enticing. I had this kind of knowing that if you really do follow your heart and what you're meant to do, and you really become really great at what you do, that mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you do. You can, you can definitely create a financially stable, lucrative career. Mm-hmm. So I was hanging on to that thought and that thread the whole time going, okay, maybe the starting salaries are horrible, but I'm going to do something different with this. I'm going to go to the next level with this. Yeah. 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 Use that to spur you on and to elevate the field really. And so that's, that's wonderful. 
Yeah, I know a designer who actually sometimes requires her employees to have a minor in business as well as interior design, because it's business is such a huge part of, especially of the residential designers life. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's really just being an entrepreneur. Like our skill set is design, but really the bulk of what we do is we run a small business day in and day out. And so it kind of doesn't matter what kind of small business it is. Small business is hard. Entrepreneurship is hard. Cash flow is hard mm-hmm. and all that stuff really does matter, especially to people who tend to be more creative and don't really like to think of that stuff. You know, I have the benefit of literally being about 50, 50 left brain, right brain. Mm-hmm. Even my human design says so, which is kind of funny, <laughs> but I've always known that about myself. But yeah. a lot of creatives tend to lean very into the creative brain and don't want to think about any of that, you know, linear stuff or the structure or the spreadsheets. And we don't really have a choice if we're going to run our own business. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so from what I know about you is that you're kind of a super learner. And so you'll like, if you want to do know about something, you'll go and take a course or you'll get a degree or get certified about it. Do you think that it is required though, for all people to kind of get that level of education going into the field? No, I mean, definitely it has benefited me to be that type of person. Like you said, when I'm interested in something, I have an extreme drive and a a ridiculous amount of focus to be able to really go deep into something. I like the confidence it gives me when I put some level of formal education behind something that I'm doing. Not everybody's wired that way. There are plenty Mm -hmm. of people who are like, I'll figure it out along the way. And I mean, I definitely have that I'll figure it out thing, but I I like to hedge my bets with hard knowledge and tangible facts and all Mm -hmm. of those things. So it's not a requirement, but do I think it's made it easier or given me more confidence? I would say yes. I think Mm -hmm. it's the confidence thing because I think we tend to as women, as creatives, as business owners, as humans, second guess so many things. And when I can back up my thought process, my logic, my sort of educated guesses with facts and numbers, Mm -hmm. it usually gives me a lot of confidence to move forward in decisions where I think a lot of people say, stay stuck. So it definitely, I have a bias towards taking action towards making decisions quickly and easily. And I, I think that probably has to be part of it because I've got a lot of knowledge to help me as I'm moving forward in big decisions. Yeah. Yeah, Have confidence in taking action because you have all that data behind you. Yeah, (laughs) totally. facts of learning. Yeah. 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 That's good. So you got your degree and then did you start working for someone else or did you start your own business? Yeah. So that's an interesting story. So when I finished my degrees, degrees after nine (laughs) years, literally, I could have been a doctor. I just chose not to be one because I was in school for so long. So I got out of school in um, about 98 ish. And I went and interviewed in Little Rock in Arkansas, where I live for a design position. And the starting salary was (laughs) $17,000. And I was like, I mean, yeah, it's 1998, but that was still extremely low. Like you're not going to be able to support yourself on that amount of money at that time. And so I had done an internship in Las Vegas that I was required to finish my degree in design and uh, hospitality design, which was really fun. And then I had just elected to do another internship for someone who was local. I mean, in a town kind of just outside of Little Rock. And he had been a designer in New York for years. And then as he was getting older, had retired back to Arkansas, but he still had offices in both places. Hmm. And so I elected to work for him for the summer. 
and got the taste of really dealing with some very high-end clients and what mm. that was like. Thankfully, I did have those two experiences. I don't recommend necessarily people not working for other people like I did, but yeah. after interviewing and hearing those starting salaries, I was kind of like, you know what? I come from an entrepreneurial family. My dad runs a family-owned business and has my whole life. I think I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off and jump in. I was single at the time, even though I was like 28. And I was like, if I can't afford to eat, I can always drive over to my parents' house and they'll at least feed me. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I think I'm going to wing it. And I actually, though, ended up opening a little shop, a little like retail space. Oh. It was fun. I just got back in retail. We can talk about that in a minute. And I haven't been in it for 14 years, but I do really love that whole experience as so many creatives do of being a shop owner and a shopkeep, even though it's all also sometimes not something I recommend, but it was a great way to start because for people that didn't know me, I had other things to sell and I could build yeah. relationships. And so I started with a little shop. I started outside of Little Rock in a little community because I couldn't afford the rent here, oh. but I found myself working here more often than not, which is our biggest city in, in Arkansas for friends, parents, people I knew in college, that kind of thing. And it just kind of went from there. So I did start off on my own right out of the gate in I think my business was incorporated in 1999. Mm -hmm. So I did those internships for a few months and then I jumped right in. So wow. yeah, I learned, learned school of hard knocks, made all the mistakes, <laughs> uh, did all the things, spent all the money, overspent, all yeah. the stuff. So, yeah. So I know that you do a lot of coaching now. Did you seek out coaching then for yourself back then? Was that something that you were? Yeah. So, um, so I started my business in 99 and the first business coach that I found was a person who I think still actually is in the business, believe it or not. And it's amazing that she is, but her name is Mary Naxted and she had written a lot of books, including textbooks. And one of my school textbooks was written by her. Oh. And so it was about professional practices. I had no idea that she ran these mastermind groups. And I was studying for the NCIDQ exam and I was using her book to study. And I got to the very back of it. And there was like this back page that had a flyer for these like little mentorship groups she had. Oh. Um, and I remember calling the number. And again, this was in 2004. So I had to wait till like Monday because this was yeah. on a weekend. I found it. I had to wait till, <laughs> till Monday. There was no looking anything up on the internet. And I called and I remember calling my mom because I had stayed home. We're big football fans. And all mm -hmm. my family was at the Arkansas, Texas football game in Austin. And I had stayed home to be responsible and study for my NCIDQ. And I remember calling my mom and she was at the game. So at least there were cell phones then. And she could barely hear me. And I was like, I think I want to go to this thing in New York. And it's like $5,000. And she was like, what? And like, <laughs> she was like, I can't hear you. And I'm like, will you go with me? And so she ended up going with me. She paid her own way. They yeah. let you bring a companion for like, I don't remember, like another two or 3000 or something. And so I think four or five years, I went once a quarter and worked with Mary as my first business coach. And it made a tremendous difference. She was the mm. first person to teach me how to charge flat fees. And I listened to everything she said. I did everything she said. I remember coming home from some of those sessions thinking, well, what have you got to lose? And my dad was even saying, this is never going to work. You're going to charge people how much to do this work? <laughs> and I remember I pitched my first fee to someone. It was $29,000 in 2004. And they said, yes. Immediately, I was like, okay, this lady really understands the concept of pricing per value, not per dollar, and like yeah. really helping elevate and create a high end luxury brand and all the things. So, yeah. And, but the other thing that I knew when I was going to work with her is I had this understanding that 
some point in my future, I also would be really good at consulting and teaching because mm. I was just really able to understand, absorb, break down, kind of make things very practical and understand implementation of the things she was teaching me. And it goes hand in hand with that part of me that it's a learner mm -hmm. that has like all of that focus. And I like to think about building business almost as much as I like to think about building a space or a room. Mm. So I kind of knew from then I was like, sometime in the future, I will be doing this kind of work too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. I had a similar kind of feeling too. As I grow in my business and got coaching, I'm like, I really love being coached, but I also love coaching other people. People just started asking my advice and things like that. And it just was really just lighten up when someone yeah. asked for my opinion on how to like help with their business and things like that. So, um, I had a similar kind of path with that. And so then here we are, I have a mentorship group. So that's a really fun path to travel. So then you really grew your business at some point. I don't remember what year it was, but I know you were on like magazine covers yes, and I just really, yes. you had such an iconic style that it really stuck with me. Like your name was in my head because I knew your name and all the bright colors like went together all the time. I yeah, I would say that was about 10 year path to really start showing up more in like a national way. And I remember prior to that, I had looked at Suzanne Kassler. I had gone on one time to her website and I was like, I wonder how long it took her from the first time she started getting published like locally in Atlanta to when she was on the covers of like national magazines or had a product line or whatever. And I remember mm -hmm. it was about 10 years. It was like from 98 to 08 or something, almost exactly. And I was thinking about that path. I had been getting published locally and at home in Arkansas and having covers and doing well, like really getting my work out there and growing my business and got some really really lucrative projects and like million dollar interiors projects. And wow. this was probably around about from 99, this was about 08 or 09, which was interesting because it was right around when the recession was, was right. about to hit as well. Yeah. In 2009, I was named one of the traditional home new trads. And that was the first time they had brought back their list and everything kind of just started falling into place that same year, right about the same time in the spring, I also was on the cover of House Beautiful and I had started networking and I was at Market at High Point and I had met Neil Turner. He was the assistant editor and then Stephen Drucker was the editor at the time and it happened to be at this event and I went up and was talking to Newell and introduced myself to Stephen and they said, I said, I have a project that I'd love for y'all to see. And they said, well, we're actually looking for, we have a hole in the March issue. Any chance it would be appropriate for that? I mean, it was just like divine wow. timing. And I was like, maybe it's blue. And they're like, you're kidding. And like, this is the blue issue. And I was like, okay. And I <laughs> sent it in and they were like, we love it. Can we shoot it? And so it was, the project was in Northwest Arkansas, about three hours away. And they flew in this amazing photographer, Francesco Lanyesi, who was like the top of his game. They flew in Robert Ruffino, who I love, who just actually retired from working with Hearst. He's been a stylist for them for years. And so he came in to style the pro. I mean, like the top people. Wow. I mean, it was blowing my mind. It just yeah. was like a fluke and it all happened. And it literally happened in like a weekend. Like I sent them the project at market and like by the next Monday, they were like, when can we shoot? Wow. That was just a dreamy situation. And I had no idea it would be the cover. And then they called and they're like, it's the cover of the blue issues. 
it was just one of those things that I, I don't know was meant to be or the yeah. timing was right or whatever, but it really was some very elevated work for me. It was a different level of work than I had done because mm. I had the client that was willing to be adventurous and that had the funds to be, and they had an art collection and mm-hmm. they, they spent a lot of money on the project. It just kind of the stars aligned. That moment was major game changer. People think if you get national publicity that you're suddenly going to have all these clients. It's not really that. It's like you have a rush of clients. People don't see the magazine and pick up the phone and start hiring you, <laughs> but it just puts you in a different level of credibility, mm-hmm. it kind of aligns you alongside some other peers that have had that accomplishment. And it also just does something for your own confidence. So mm-hmm. That's probably when you started seeing or sometime after that. So that was in 09 and the list was for traditional home was in 09. And then in 2012, I had another cover that time with traditional home. And then I think I had one in 2014. So, and I haven't had a national cover since probably 2014, which is funny now is almost 10 years ago. We don't push magazines the way we used to in our industry. We do a lot of stuff on, you know, online and with Instagram. But I had a really good run there in a like about 10 to 12 years into my career. I mean, mm-hmm. almost 25 years now or 24 that really took me to a different level. The other thing that was happening right then is that was right at the same time that design blogs and the whole blogosphere was like happening. And I was an early adopter, which I often am to things. Mm -hmm. I was an early adopter and I was one of the only practicing interior designers writing a design blog. There were a handful of us, but most of the people blogging were design enthusiasts and not interior designers. Right. So Lauren Lease was writing, I was writing, a few people were, Aaron Gates, a handful of people. And I don't even know if Erin was a designer yet, or if she was more of a blogger. Paloma Contreras was more of a blogger first before she was a designer. So Lauren and I, I think had full-blown design businesses, but when that was happening, it was also so intriguing to magazines because they were scared of it. They were like, are these people our competition? But at the same time, they wanted to tap into that knowledge and that tech and what was happening and the growth. And so it also opened up a lot of opportunities with magazines. They would be reading, like I would publish and in real time, you know, an hour later, somebody from like Southern Living would say, we saw you're having a party. Is it something we can photograph? What is it? Can you send us pictures? Yeah. So that was so cool because that had never happened before. And now it's so saturated in social media. But at that time, there just weren't that many of us doing it. And so it started instantly connecting us to magazines. So that was just, again, sort of a right place at the right time. I guess my Mm -hmm. lesson from that for people is be an early adopter of things. Don't Mm. wait to try things because there's so much opportunity. You don't even know what could happen Mm -hmm. from you being willing to to try things, to put yourself out there, to test new technology, to, you know, be on the front end of a curve. Mm -hmm. So as we don't know what's going to happen with things like AI in the future, I would say stay very open and be willing to try and and Mm -hmm. jump in on things because that's the very thing I was doing and it was paying off Mm -hmm. in humongous ways. Yeah. And you've made this point recently on your podcast too. I was listening that to be an early adapter, to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a risk taker as well. You know, And so you have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable. So there are a lot of mindset management that you have to do to totally make sure that you can keep being vulnerable and like, you know, have a little bit of a tougher skin if somebody didn't like your photo, you know? Right. If they didn't like it. And also just like the risk is like, it might not work. Yes. Somebody might not like it, 
but you also are potentially wasting time. You also are potentially wasting money. Like you could create things that never gets picked up anywhere or published anywhere, but what if it does, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was my experience. Like if I'm going to look and say, well, I spent all this money of these projects that nobody ever said yes to, but they did say yes to a handful that took me to a whole other level. And so every time that I would invest time, money, photography, spending my own money to style things to take to a next level or mock up a party and like photograph it or do things like that. Yeah, I was spending money and time, but it was an investment in the potential success, not the actual success. Mm -hmm. But what I found is if I was willing to go ahead and put my own time and money into something more often than not, people would say yes to it. An an example of that is I did this teeny little thing. It's not even, I mean, I wouldn't have ever even really called it a show house. They kind of did, but I would call it more like a parade of homes or a model home or something in this tiny little community outside of Little Rock. And it was based on the idea of sustainability, like at the very beginning of that movement. Mm, so again, mm-hmm. probably around that same period, 08, 09, I don't know, sometime a long time ago, it was called the Energy House. And I had noticed that Traditional Home was doing this new thing on social media that they were calling a tip clip. And it was just a little video way before short form video. And so I was like, if I go shoot myself touring the home and spend my own money and hire a videographer and make some little clips and send them over to them. And not only say, here's a project I'm pitching about sustainability and like energy efficiency, which is a new cutting edge thing. But I also went ahead and spent my money to photograph it and to make these videos. And I knew magazines were short on budget. Things were, it was a recession and stuff. They accepted the whole thing. I got a four page spread in traditional home and they Mm. ran my videos all over the place. That's a risk. They could have just said, no, thank you, or we'll do it ourselves or whatever. And they literally took everything as is and were like, oh my gosh, yes. Can we send this? Can we run this? It saved them time. It saved them money. It was an investment in four pages in a national magazine that you can't buy that kind of press because it wasn't an ad. It was a feature, right? Yeah, Yeah. So those are the kind of, choices and risk that I've taken along the way. And sometimes I've gone into debt to take some of those. I'm not recommending that, but I'm just saying like they are actual risk. It wasn't Mm -hmm. that I just had a pot of money sitting around, but I would make an educated decision and think, okay, this one, I have some proof. I see what they're doing. What if I meet them halfway? Or what if Mm -hmm. I kind of go there? I wonder what's going to happen. And that has paid off time and time again for me to do things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in that vein, let's talk a little bit about the retail side of it. So you had a store before and then now you've got one again. Yes. Um, Can you tell us the differences of what you did back then? And I know you closed it for a Uh reason for a certain amount of time. So absolutely. Yes. (laughs) All of that. Okay. So I started in 99 with the, the shop, which was great and a way to get people in and get people to know me. And then in 2009, so 10 years in, my design business was thriving. The recession was happening. I was starting my coaching business as a a new revenue stream during the recession. And I started having design camps and things. It's really how that started. And people were seeing that on the blog and were like, oh, I want to come learn from you. At that time, the design business was carrying the retail business all the time. So people would come into shop, not really buy anything, wait for it to go on sale like people did and still do sometimes in retail stores these days. But I would get clients from it and then I would sell, you know, $100,000 worth of product to somebody right. like in their house. So 
realizing that the design business was where the money was at that moment. And the store was a lot to take care of and a distraction. I had a toddler. I think Ellison was like, see, she was four in 09. I said, it doesn't make sense anymore to me. I'm going to close the shop. I mean, it was really kind of a trend in retail at that moment. Bunny Williams had had her beautiful shop in New York. Charlotte Moss had, and they had both were closing their stores because mm. retail was getting really hard right then because it was Amazon and a lot of the direct to consumer market was new and retail was getting shut out because yeah. of the internet. Yeah. So closed it. Happy I closed it. Happy I had it. All wonderful. Said I would never do retail again. Like you couldn't pay me enough to do that. It's <laughs> it's not profitable. Fast forward 14 years and things are really different now. So there's Shopify. There's Shopify that integrates directly with Instagram. People can shop right mm. from their phones. There are yeah. companies who drop ship to you and you don't even have to invest in the inventory necessarily. So things are so different. And also that four-year-old toddler from back then is now an 18-year-old young woman <laughs> going into apparel merchandising whose dream is to have a boutique. And so this mama and my mama heart was like, okay, let's do it. I was going to get back in anyway to sell my product lines that I have with like Woodbridge and other things and do yeah. more of the furniture side. Her dream is on the apparel side. And to be honest, I'm loving and having so much fun with the apparel and the clothes. And, but it's so different because as we're recording this, we've been open for six weeks or seven weeks. I think seven weeks. Our customers are about 40% local or Arkansas and 60% everywhere else. And every day we're shipping clothing or drop shipping lamps or art or other things to mostly right now are kind of hot places are Georgia, North Carolina, and places all over New York state, a couple of people in California, but like we're shipping, especially all over the South. So I must have a pretty good kind of audience on social media, like in that whole Southern kind of region, Uh Uh, because the number of people in Georgia and North Carolina that have shopped with us is pretty fun and interesting. So it's so fun to wake up now every day and be like, oh, somebody bought a top or somebody bought a pillow or somebody bought a candle and then look and see. And more often than not, they're not here. They're in another state. So that is something that was not available in 2009 when I closed the store. The internet was not even that helpful. You know, email was about the only way there was no social media, you know, you'd have to try to email or snail mail somebody an invitation if you were Mm going to have an open house or a Christmas event. Right. And, you know, social media has made all of that different. So it's kind of been interesting to watch how the internet and e-commerce and apps like Shopify and Instagram have brought this business to a totally different place. It doesn't mean that it's without risk and it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean everybody should jump into it necessarily, but a lot of the kinks are have been worked out in that realm since okay. I was in it. And it makes it easier and fun in a lot of ways to be able to have a global audience. And so for me, that worked out great because over all of those 14 years, I've been building an Instagram following on my main Toby Fairley site of 80,000 people or whatever. <laughs> I have people all over the globe that now can shop with me, get a piece of our brand or what we're selling. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to revisit it. And I definitely eat my words to say I would never do this again because I'm right back in the thick of it, but it's a completely different animal than it was when I left it 14 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah. yeah, So you would not necessarily discourage someone from going in to have their shop. 
if that's something right. you want to yeah. do. Yeah. So it's definitely different. And back then, you know, I was carrying three or $400,000 worth of inventory on 2000 square feet of showroom space yeah. with high rent and all kinds of things. Now my shop's in a teeny little town outside of Little Rock in a building my parents own that cost me basically nothing to run. And it doesn't matter where you're based anymore because you can literally ship everywhere. And most people sure. buy online anyway. So yeah, yeah, we do get some foot traffic, but most people are just watching what we're putting on Instagram every day and saying, I want that top. I want those pillows. I yeah. want that candle kind of thing. Yeah. So definitely if you keep your cost in check, we try to aim for about 70 to 80% drop ship product on our site versus about 30% being things that we would actually inventory. The apparel, clothing, you do have to purchase the items. You can't mostly mm-hmm. drop ship those. But it's a completely different ball game than carrying hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of inventory and sitting and waiting for somebody to find you without even having social media that we did mm-hmm. not have back in 09 and sure. 99 and all of those yeah. times. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, definitely different. If you did it differently... If you did it in a way that is more conservative with your spend, I would say. And then honestly, the main thing is you just have to work it. If you're not showing up on social media every day, you're not going to sell anything. The days that I get busy doing other things and we don't post, we don't sell. The Mm. days that I show up multiple times a day, like I put up a post this afternoon about some football, like game day bags. And within 15 minutes, I had sold $300 worth of something to a bag to a customer. And so like if you're posting somebody's looking if you're working your social media. So that's such a beautiful thing that we didn't have the last time I did retail. So that's a quick turnaround. Very satisfying. I know. Isn't that fun? Post it and then you sell it. (laughs) Yeah. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that a shop is probably one of the main alternate revenue sources that designers think about wanting to go beyond the one-to-one design services. But I know that You have explored a lot more than that for Mm -hmm. revenue streams and you've coached people in this as well. So I know that like courses are one that you definitely are a proponent of and you have a program about that now. Yes. So I've been doing coaches on the business side for a long time and fully intend to do way more on the design side. I actually did some about how many years ago was that? They're still selling, but probably five or six years ago, House Beautiful asked me to partner with them. And I did some design courses with them and Creative Live, which is a very established company that sells online education. Since then, I've mostly done things in the realm of business coaching, but I've taught many, many people and helped many people create design courses. And we're going to be rolling out a lot more of those ourselves soon. They work really well with the shop, right? Teach people how to decorate and then also say, and by the way, here's where you get that like really beautiful, colorful lamp that I just taught you how to use. But what I've watched over the years is even the people that had such a great idea they wouldn't get around to making their course for all kinds of reasons. They're busy. They don't know how the tech is overwhelming. Back in the fall of last year, I decided that I wanted to try something and create a, what I call like a container, an experience where someone would work with us or a group of people would work with us for six months. And at the end of that six months, mm-hmm. they would have a finished course. Okay. Uh, and we would meet twice a month and also give them homework and give them like our spreadsheets and our tools and our best practices and templates of how to create modules and all the things. Mm -hmm. And so we just finished the first ever group. It's called the online course incubator. I think we had nine people go through. We want to keep it at about 10 so that we can have hands-on work with everybody. And we just finished it. It is so fun. And we had one of our members who has just been, she had just such a great idea and niche. She's kind of been known as the Christmas queen for years and does holiday decorating. And so she launched her course. Her name's Alyssa Berry. And as of today, I think her course has been out 
this is, I think the 10th day, ninth or 10th day. And she sold about 40 of them. So she's wow. made like about $20,000 in 10 days, which is blowing her mind. Yeah. Uh, and not every course flies off the shelf like that. Sure. But if you can tap into something that there's a void in the market or that you really have a level of expertise, and she has done a great job over the years of working her following and having a very loyal social media base as well. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal was to take somebody like her who kept saying, I'm going to get around to it. I promise. I know I need to. Yeah. And then create an atmosphere where they would buckle down and have some deadlines that would make them just rip the bandaid off and do it, even though it felt hard and like a Mm -hmm. side gig for a minute. And she did it and she did the work and it worked and, and it's really paying off in a really short time. So that's really fun. So when I launched it in at the end of last year and we started in January, I was like, we're going to give this a whirl. I don't know if I'll ever do this again. It's not inexpensive. It's $5,000 to do this program with us. But although like, look at her, she's like made four times that back in 10 days. So not everybody's going to do that, but it's possible to pay for itself. It was so much fun and they loved it that we're going to do it again. So we're getting ready to launch another round with 10 people max. It's going to start in October. I don't have the exact dates right on me, but we're just opening up like the early sales around the time, probably your podcast comes out. So August, September, we'll be selling. We'll get started in October. We'll spend six months together at the end of that six months. If you buckle down and do your thing, you can have a finished course. We'll help you like learn to sell it and market it and all the things. And yeah, it was fun and they loved it and we loved it. And so, yeah, we're going to do it again. Wonderful. That's great. Just to help creatives find another outlet too. Like, so a lot of them, I I'm sure are designers or creative types. Yeah. So they weren't all designers, definitely all creatives. There were a couple of people working in like the kind of health related space. A lot of them had like an adjacent, like your environment is a part of like their health and wellness or well-being. Or one of our people is a, is a doctor who is helping people with aging parents. And Mm. there's a whole like interiors kind of adjacent component to it, but she also Mm -hmm. just helps you with that whole, it's called unsandwiched. And like, if you're the sandwich generation, you're in between the raising kids and the aging parents. And so like her course, it's, I don't even think it's live quite yet, or it might be, it might be just going live. So like we had a diverse group of people. We have somebody creating a course on how to create a kitchen that helps you manage your weight, which is interesting. So like there's some really cool, we have a couple of people in the like Airbnb and short-term rental space. So like, it's been a really fun process to see. One of them is an architect who's through the pandemic, let her hair go silver. She's in Canada uh, and like had a whole new kind of like epiphany of like who she is and stepped into kind of the next version of her. So she's all about aging beautifully. Um, So she's in her sixties and she's an architect and she's like, this is, I'm just kind of like coming into the next version of me. So I think it's called silver style and it's about finding your style. So like some really cool, unique things. And then one of the things we're doing in addition to that is we're in the process of creating a platform to sell other people's courses besides our own. So people that go through and finish a course are going to have the option and they're getting that ready for us right now to submit for consideration. If we accept their course into our program, like we'll be also helping to sell and do a revenue share with them because I know the next step is, okay, you got your course done. But then what if I don't really have a big audience or what if I don't know how to market it? And so it's going to be really fun to use our platform and our followers and to say, hey, you can not only get Toby's course on decorator, Toby's course on business, but you can get Alyssa's course on holiday decorating or this person's course on Airbnbs. And so like creating that hub 
for online education in the design related space. So, you know me, I'm always playing with ideas. I'm always Mm -hmm. testing and trying things. And I'm always looking to see how I can help designers and creatives get over a hurdle or a hump that's kind of in their way, that's keeping them from Mm -hmm. being as profitable or having the kind of lifestyle or business that they want. I knew that would be the next hurdle. I was like, we can put all these people in business and they might have like a good out of the shoot kind of like, you know, sale. But then when everything kind of settles down and the new wears off, what are they going to do to keep getting in front of new eyes and, yeah. and really turning these courses into legit revenue streams that hopefully make six figures or multiple six yeah. figures for them. And so we want to play a role in helping them get there too. So oh, that's wonderful. the next thing. Yeah. So that's- I'm always trying something. Yeah. Yeah, you are. That's so great. I think that would be kind of fun too, to be on your side of it and seeing all of these amazing ideas come through that, like, you know, you wouldn't have thought of that all these other people are bringing to you and that you kind of get to be the first to peek in on these ideas and help to cultivate them. Yeah. And some of the other people that we've helped build courses through like our design you program, even before we had the online course incubator, our student and my good friend, Linda Holt comes to mind, who's Mm. created the course on how to shoot interiors with your iPhone because she's a photographer. So we've talked to Linda about partnering with us and selling her course on our platform once it's live. And so, you know, so we have so many amazing people that we get to come into contact with all the time that Mm -hmm. you're right, that have great ideas and expertise that I don't have, but I do have the platform and I do have the reach. So how fun to put those two things together Mm -hmm. and say like, what if we partner? What if we collaborate? Or what if we just sell your thing through our sources? And so that's going to be a fun next experiment to see what that looks like. So yeah. Great. Wow. Love that. Okay. So there's lots of things. We're going to keep tabs on you and put the links for everybody to, <laughs> yeah. to be able to watch that course incubator come live and be able to sign up for that and just see what other ideas and things you have coming down the pipeline for all of us out here. So what other things would you say before we go, would you recommend to a designer who's just thinking about getting into the career? I think that we kind of started out saying you really have to have that business background or you have to think like an entrepreneur. And I've had so many people over the years say to me, Toby, I think you pivot. They call it pivot. I call it kind of just grow or expand. You pivot better than anybody I've seen. And I think what they mean is I'm always trying something just like we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I moved into coaching in addition to design. And then we're like, what if we help people build courses or what if we try this e-commerce thing? And so the advice I would give people is it's so easy to think that you're just going to do this one thing. I'm just going to be a designer. It's going to make me all the money I need for the rest of my life. And I don't really think business works that way anymore. Mm, The consumer can be your biggest competition doing their own design work. And so we have to have different angles to come at the revenue stream problem. I call it like putting a lot of poles in the water, right? Mm -hmm. So we have one pole in the water. We can catch a fish at a time. If we have five poles in the water, we can catch five fish at a time. And so I would say to people either new in business, changing careers, or just coming out of school that be open to the idea that business is multifaceted. Successful businesses are more multifaceted in 2023 Mm -hmm. and beyond. And you have to be willing to do multiple things, which can Mm -hmm. feel exhausting at times, but it also can be really fun and adventurous. And the sooner you get your mind around that whole idea of testing and experimenting and playing kind of in your business with different ideas and revenue streams, we can really tap into our creativity and it can really make a huge difference in potential financially for us to grow our businesses. And I don't think that was a way of thinking that most of us had, especially people my age coming out of 
college in the nineties, like you, you watch people get a job and do that thing for 40 years. And right. that's just not how business is anymore. You're going to yeah. be lucky if the thing you're selling, stays hot the way it is in the format it's in for three or four years, but the consumer's fickle and technology is fast and always moving and you've got to be moving and adapting too. So mm -hmm. definitely encouraging people to start thinking that way, to not be surprised how much you have to be nimble and how many things you have to try to make businesses work. Because I think otherwise that's the part nobody tells you. And I think that's the part yeah. that can be can create a lot of burnout for people. It can be very disheartening for people. It can feel extremely hard. And I think more than anything, it's the not knowing or being surprised by that, that takes a toll on people. But if you can mm -hmm. know going in, I'm going to become a lot of different versions of me throughout my design career. And I'm going to have fun testing and trying and playing and mm -hmm. being willing to put things to bed and res and invent new ideas. Or even like I just did circle back 14 years later to an old idea and yeah. like bring the new version of it to life. I think that's just what, how we have to think as, as business owners and creatives, today and moving forward. So that would probably be my biggest piece of advice. It served me very well mm -hmm. to have that kind of a mindset mm -hmm. to be willing to keep reinventing myself. And it's also just way more fun. Yeah. The 50 something version of me that's reinvented is different than the 40 something than the 30 something. And I know the 60 something will get to be different again too. And it makes it fun. It keeps me happy. It keeps me excited mm -hmm. and you got to stay excited in your mm -hmm. business if you want it to do well. So yeah, really good to show that you can use your creativity, not only for your design projects, but also in your business and in your life. So that's a yeah. great application yeah. for that. Well, thank you so much, Toby, for sharing your knowledge and insight with us today. It was so fun. I'm often on the interviewer side of yeah. the mic and I should do more of these because it's actually, it is really fun. And it reminds me of a lot of amazing things that I have been able to accomplish, but also that a lot of other people have helped me do mm -hmm. over the years. And I think that that's something that I should probably spend more time doing because it makes you a little less burned out about your business and a little more grateful when you're right. remembering all of those fun things. So thanks for taking me back down memory <laughs> lane and like yeah. reminding myself how fun yeah. of a career it's been and how much potential there still is left to, to do. Exactly. Thanks. Yeah. Like a gratitude session. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Absolutely. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you, Toby. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Toby. It's always a pleasure to talk with her. I have been on her podcast as well as in some of the groups in her Design You program that she had. And it's just always great to talk with her. She has such great insight, very direct in her advice, and is just uh, definitely a voice that I needed in my career path. So go and check her out. There's links to her course incubator in the show notes as well as all the other things that she has going on, her website and her Instagram. You can reach out to her. She's very active on there, so I'm sure she would love to hear from you. And that's it for this week, so stay tuned. I've, I've got another great episode next week with just a solo one with me, and we're talking about a very relevant topic for most interior designers. So stick around and find out what that is. Until next time, stay creative. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode, please leave a rating and a review. This helps me reach other curious creatives like you. If you have a topic request or would like to contact me, simply head over to my website, rwarddesign.com or email me at podcast at rwarddesign.com.